Let's pray. Father, the passage we just read is so rich in the love that Paul has for the church. It's so rich that the, the elders in hearing it could only reach in, lean into him, and hug him, and give him a holy kiss. They were overwhelmed by a man who for three years spent his days and his nights pouring the word of God into them, loving them, serving them, ministering to them. And now they have been raised up to carry forward the ministry that Paul exemplified. Oh, how we pray that, Lord, this would be all churches everywhere, that we would all do our part to serve in the kingdom of God, and we would disciple one another and raise each other up and grow in our maturity so that the next generation is able to carry the church forward. Father, I, I think about those today who are hurting, those who are facing physical sickness, those who are facing different types of setbacks. We lift them to you today. We pray that in the name of Jesus, you would come near to them, comfort them. They would sense your strength and your power, that they would be in your word today, that many who maybe are even watching by live stream would be ministered to by the word of God going out. We think of our nation today, this, this anniversary of 9-11, a day of great trial, of great catastrophe in our nation's history. And there are people who, were, who are still carrying the wounds of that great tragedy. Maybe they don't carry them physically, but they carry them emotionally, mentally. God, we lift people up today all over our nation who are hurting. We pray that we never forget that day, that we would, it would solidify us as a people. Lord, the one outcome that was so good that came out of such a terrible tragedy was that the very next Sunday, America went to church. Amazing how we quickly turned back to you and yet lord we have turned away from you again and again and again god we pray for a a a true god awakening to hit this nation that people all over this nation and from here out all over the world people would once again turn to god and repent of sin and be saved in the name of jesus by faith. We pray for a great outpouring of your spirit that people would come to know you personally and then they would live and, and dwell with other believers and worship you corporately like we're doing this morning. This is our prayer because we want the church to be everything that you designed it to be, that you modeled it to be. And we thank you for the Apostle Paul who you chose to be the one to model it. Oh God, may Vero Bible Fellowship line up with the teaching of the Word of God on the institution of the church as you created it, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in the 20th chapter of Acts, we see the Apostle Paul as a man who is running against the clock. We've already talked about this a little bit in the first part of the chapter. We're going to finish the chapter today. And Brenton did a beautiful job uh, setting it up in the Scripture reading. I also want to say this about uh, Pastor Brenton. Uh, he starts uh, his seminary work this week. So he'll be attending uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, I believe mostly from live stream, right, or, or online. And uh, so keep him in prayer because not only does he have a ministry here in the church with our students, but also leads our worship on Sunday, and now he's got to go to school and, uh, and, and other things that are going on in his life that I wish they would share. But anyway, 
That's for another day. Um, uh, it, it's, it's exciting to see how God raises up from within the church. He raises up from within the church those who will lead the church. The church cannot be treated like an, or, like an organization or a business where when you have a vacancy in your business, you look for resumes and then you select the right one. And you bring someone in from the outside to be part of the church or part of the business. The church cannot do that. The people that God raises up are saved people. They are people who are called by God to serve. And the church, the best place for the church to look for those people who will serve are in the church. In fact, let me just go ahead and hit close to home. The people God's looking to raise up in the church is sitting in your chair. You are the church. And the church is only as strong as the people in it who see their calling, who know that God loves them. God has saved them by his marvelous grace. And now he's gifted them to serve. You know, the weather's changing Okay, ever so slightly. I'm glad it's not July, aren't you? Amen? Okay. We're getting closer to a weather change. That is our sign that it's the fall, by the way. Okay? It's not colors. It's just a slight change in weather. A dropping just a little bit of humidity. Amen. All right. And, and one of the things that we really need, a position that we really need to feel, uh, fill with probably about 15 to 18 people is to stand at the two entry gates to this facility on Sunday morning and gladly with a warm smile greet people as they come to church. Greet people. The Bible says greet with a holy kiss. I'm not asking you to do that. But I am asking that we, we do a wonderful job right here at the door where it's air conditioned. But to serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. And he's worthy of my service. He's worthy of my time. He's worthy of my sacrifice. If you would like to help us with that, Please just write your name down in the back. I'm sure whoever's working the welcome table will have a sheet there for you to put your name on, and we will be giving you a call to, to help serve. This is a, another way of the church being the church, raising up from within those who serve the Lord. We're not looking outside for answers. We're looking from within. And that's the journey that we've been on in the book of Acts as Paul has exemplified for us his process, his way of ministry. And now Paul's coming to the time of closing. He knows that his days are now numbered, that while he still has this great heart to minister, he doesn't have enough life left in him to carry it further. Oh, he would, but he senses my time's coming to a close. And so just look down, if you will, chapter 20, verse 22. I just want to give you a, give you, what I want to do really for probably another five to ten minutes is just set up what we're going to read. This is profound. This is interesting. It's unique. It's important for us as a church to hear and understand this. In verse 22, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count, account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. That sentence right there, every one of us need to meditate upon. 
If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you, none of, of, of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is it. This is my last opportunity to be with you. Paul says it doesn't matter what suffering lies ahead. His goal is to finish the ministry proclaiming the gospel of the grace of God. This is his greatest achievement. What is his achievement? To bring glory to God by remaining faithful in spite of the trials that may still come to him. Church, this has to be the greatest goal of our lives. You say, but I'm not an apostle. Paul was a special minister of God. You are a minister of God if you're saved. You've been saved by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And then it says after that that not only were you saved by grace, but God is the one who created you in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. Before you were saved from the foundation of the world, God knew you would be saved. And he set in your future the work that he would have you do. This is every believer. This is not just the Apostle Paul. This is not just the pastors and the elders of Vero Bible Fellowship. Every one of you. I'm trying to speak an encouragement to you today. God believes in you. From the foundation of the world, he knew your name. He knew who would be saved and who would not be saved. You've been chosen of God to serve, not just to sit, not just to take in. You've been chosen to give out. This is the calling of God. And Paul is faithful to that. He's going to just keep doing what the Lord's called him to do until there's no more left in him to do it. My fear, as one shepherd of this flock, is that many of you are living for everything other than the Lord's ministry. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Some of us are not fulfilling that. Being a business person has replaced being a disciple. There ought to be room for both. In fact, the one is who you are. The other is what you do. You are a disciple. Using your abilities for personal gain has kept you from discipling others, pouring into them, using your gifts for the kingdom. Making a name for yourself has replaced making the Lord's name great. You're not sharing your faith with people. You're not coming to the Lord sharing the gospel with people. You're sharing insequential thoughts on Facebook with friends. Spending much of our time in the insignificant of life. I'm not saying friends are insignificant. I'm saying that we're wasting energy and time of things we could be giving for the Lord's work. N not everything is bad. It can be good. But the question is, is it profitable? Or is it just wasting time? I bring this to you today not because I'm trying to put you down and press and I'm not trying to, to depress you here. I'm, I'm trying to get all of us to see the calling of God on our lives as the church here at Vero Bible Fellowship. We're called to live our lives for God's sake, not ours. Yes, you have to work. Yes, you need time to recreate. Yes, you need time to be a mother or a father, a husband or a wife, a single person who has connections in the community, using them for the glory of God. But that's the point. Bring glory to God through your life. In all that you do, bring glory to God. This week we traveled, it's about 16 of us, I guess, in that ballpark. 16 of us went up to Nashville for the uh, SING Conference, which is sponsored by uh, Keith and Kristen Getty. And it was wonderful. We had a great time. Heard great preachers. Uh, any C.S. Lewis fans in the room? Okay, so here's a quick question. Here's a little trivia for you. When did C.S. Lewis first 
see beauty? Anybody know? When his brother brought him, like in a little box or a top of a garbage can lid, he had made a little garden. And for the first time, C.S. Lewis saw beauty. And after that, because of that one little touch, he saw beauty in other things. When, when have you seen beauty in the church? To the point that now you would never think of not serving in the beauty of the church and seeing that beauty throughout the church in various ministries and ways. See, this is the calling of God on us. And while we were there, uh, I, I don't know what it was. I had setbacks all through this trip. I mean, it started when I got to the Orlando airport. I left here, I told you, last Sunday, right after service, shot up to Orlando, got there just in time to race in, but I couldn't find a parking place in the garage. And I didn't have time to go to the value parking lot and have a tram bring me in. And so I noticed it was Labor Day weekend, Everybody and their mother and mother-in-law were traveling, and all the, the, the entire garage, all the spaces that are marked with white lines, in other words, don't park, they were taken. And then, even as you went down the drives inside the garage, people parallel parked on the drive. I mean, you were just narrowly getting, I mean, it was like being in a third world country, okay? And so... I did what I had to do. I'm going to miss my flight. I found a spot with some white stripes, and I parked on it. And I jumped out of, got in the, and went on the airplane up to Nashville and got off the plane and then thought, okay, I'll just go straight to, to, the, to the hotel. Got to the convention center and tried to check in. They said, sir, we don't have your name here. I mean, this is a, this is a planes, trains, and automobile kind of a experience, and and I said, oh, we'll check again. And then I texted Brenton. Brenton, they're having a problem here. And he goes, are you at the Embassy Suites? <laughs> no, I am not. <laughs> I was thinking a little nicer than that. I was at the Gaylord. <laughs> Some guys preach prosperity. I just wanted to practice it once. So I hopped back on an Uber or a taxi, $30, from the airport to Gaylord, $30 from the Gaylord to the Embassy Suites. I noticed that the little meter never moved. It stayed on 30 from the time I got in the car. Well, I'm thankful for that because it was set, preset. Finally, I got there, you know, and the next morning, I'm all excited. I'm going to go to the conference. This is good stuff, man. And I go to get it. Scott and, and, and uh, Deb Walker they, they had uh, uh, rented a little car, and I, so I went to hop in the back of that car and went to turn and sit down in the back of that thing, and my weight carried me down the seat, but my head hit and smashed my head forward. I had the biggest pain in my neck the rest of the week. In fact, I've still got it today, and getting sleep is not easy right now, so I'm going to the chiropractor tomorrow, okay? I will be there, but in the midst of all this stuff going on, Okay, um, I, I, I rode Uber to and from the convention center to the conferences and stuff. Every single time, the Lord opened doors for me to minister to Uber drivers. Remember how we've been talking about just look for the opportunities that the Holy Spirit is providing. Don't try to force anything. Don't be obnoxious. Just let the Spirit of God direct it. I get in this Uber with this young lady, and she's driving, and she asked me what I do, and I said, I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh, and she looks in the rearview mirror, kind of like, you, a pastor? Anyway, uh, <laughs> she said, uh, that, well, thank you. I said, oh. I said, do you go to church? Do you have a church home? Well, no, I don't. I, I was raised in the church, and then I began to study world religions, and now I'm just really confused and have a lot of questions about God. You think that's a door? <laughs> Greg, are you home? 
And uh, I said, well, what's one of your questions? Why do bad things happen to good people? So I took her to Genesis and explained that there are no good people. I took her to what Jesus said to the people on the street who came up and said, why did the Tower of Siloam fall on 18 innocent people? They were just walking down the street and the tower falls on them, kills 18 people. I said, did you notice what Jesus said back to them? He essentially said, you're asking the wrong question. Not why 18 people who were innocent died, but why are you still here? Because you've all sinned. There was silence. It felt like a minute, but it was probably 10 seconds. I said, uh, you said you had other questions. What, what questions? She goes, well, why? I want to be careful how I say it, but why do Christians think that their way is the only way? By the time we pulled into the Gaylord, this girl was quiet and in deep thought. And I said to her, I, I, I just want you to know this. God is a redeeming God. And I believe today he's coming after you. He loves you. And she just looked back to the mirror and said, thank you so much. This has really given me a lot to think about. I would have loved to have seen her come to Christ right there. But I believe that the word never returns void. And I had experience after experience. I had a transgender driver, and we had a wonderful conversation, and he opened up to me. In the midst of all this trial of getting to, to Nashville and then the experience with my neck and all, no wonder all these things happened. Satan didn't want me to go because these wonderful opportunities were available I went for the purpose of being with Christians in a convention, but my greatest experiences were in cars driving down Nashville streets. Open your eyes, church. Let God show you what he sees. And then I got back in the plane and came back to Orlando. Went to get my car, not knowing if there would even be a car there. And it was there with this yellow envelope. $260 later. And yet I paid it immediately online with great joy knowing that the gospel went forth on that trip. I won't be parking on white stripes anymore. I learned my lesson. This is life. This is life for every one of us as believers. We don't miss opportunities outside the walls, but we also look for opportunities inside the walls of our church, even though our church doesn't have walls. We don't have a building. We're in this wonderful building. But God's coming after you to serve, to be part of his church. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Turn there if you will. I'll, I just want to take you through a couple more scriptures. And then I've got four points. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach them all along. I just want to give you the points, okay? I could have preached all four, but I've already taken a lot of time. So I want to kind of move through. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, 6. Paul is speaking to young Timothy, a minister called of God to preach, to be a shepherd over the flock of God. You say, okay, so this isn't really speaking to me. Oh, yes, it is, because you are called to be a minister of God, too. I want you to see this. Paul said, and this is him telling you where he's at in ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Will you be able to say that when your day is up? 
Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. All believers, the same calling to serve. And then he says to verse, in verse 9, I want to just read this almost as a postscript. Do your best to come to me soon. Look what he says about Demas. I think that a lot of Christians need to be paying close attention to this. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. My fear is that many Christians have deserted the calling of God on their life. They've made it a Sunday experience. Well, I come and I, I give the Lord every Sunday morning. Wonderful! You give him an hour a week. He's not looking for an event in your life. He's looking for a lifestyle. You say, well, I'm not in the ministry. Oh, yes, you are. If you're a Christian, you're a minister. Let's look at verse 17 now. We go back to Acts 20, verse 17. We're now getting into our text. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And Paul, on his third missionary journey, is saying farewell to his friends, as we said. He's visiting the eastern Mediterranean where he started all these wonderful churches. And now he's going through and he's letting them know, I'm not going to come back again. This is it. So these, this is my final opportunity to be with you, to love you, to nurture, to, to, to pray for you, and then to give you hugs and kisses because you won't see me again. It's his farewell tour. And he comes by ship to Miletus. He's heading for Jerusalem because he wants to get there for the Feast of Pentecost. He wants to present to all the poor Christians in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians, the, the monies that all the Gentile churches have raised for them. He's excited about this. And so as he comes to Miletus, which is 30 miles, it's on the coast, obviously, with a ship pulling in to port, and he's 30 miles from Ephesus, that wonderful city where he spent three years taking nothing and making, through God, a church, raising up leaders, discipling them, caring for them. And when he came to Ephesus, he comes to this port outside the city and he calls for the elders in typical Pauline fashion. When he arrived, he began to disciple people in Ephesus. He shared the gospel. People got saved. After becoming disciples, he began to raise up leaders within church. He matured them by the, by the word of God. He taught them the word. And they, they grew from little spiritual babes to spiritual young men and women to now spiritual fa fathers and mothers. And he's calling for spiritual fathers to come and meet him at the port. So let's get the context because this is a progression here and it should be the case in our healthy church as well. Paul first wins people to Christ. He then spent time with people. To be exact, three years time with people. Discipling new converts into spiritual mature Christians and then he hands the church over to them and leaves. This is a biblical model for a healthy church. Everything I just said started from within. It didn't come from outside. It came from within. This is a wonderful biblical pattern. Three things. First, he modeled leadership. Then he raised up leaders. And then he turned the church over to them to nurture and care for it. Verse 18, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. So now Paul is going to give these elders at the docks, or actually he's probably in Ephesus with them, and he is giving them instruction for when he's gone. What's the instruction? He said, I'm going to use my own life example, what I did for you when I was with you. That's the instruction. Do what I did. Do what I did. Share the gospel. When people get saved, disciple them. Grow them. And then empower them by the Holy Spirit to serve the church. 
So he expresses to them the pattern of his ministry. And then he gives, this is interesting, for the rest of this, this chapter, four views of his ministry. We're going to see Paul's ministry toward God. We're going to see Paul's ministry toward the church. We're going to see Paul's ministry toward the lost. And we're going to see Paul's ministry toward himself. First, Paul had a ministry toward God. What was, how did he see himself toward God? As a servant of Jesus Christ. Write that down. Number one, Paul saw himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I just trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You cannot be a servant of Christ and please men. Let me set up what Paul just said in Galatians 1.10. Let me tell you what's going on here. The Judaizers, those who are calling people who are saved back into Judaism, the law, the legalism of the law. Paul sees those folks, they come in and they begin to have an impact on the church in Galatia. And and they told the people, they said, look, the only reason Paul was among you and the only reason he said what he said was to make a name for himself. He was just bringing attention to himself and you followed him. And so now there's this disrupt in the church in Galatia. So Paul responds. I want you to look with me. Look at verse 6, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Paul gave them the purity of the gospel. It had nothing to do with Paul. They're saying, no, it was all about Paul. And he's saying, look, anybody who preaches any other message than the message of the true gospel, let them be anathema in the Greek, cursed. Even if the angels preach a different message, let them be cursed. When it comes to your ministry, your work for the Lord, you have to choose whether you're going to serve God or serve people. And by the way, when you serve God, you will serve people. But you serve God. Okay? You have to choose to serve God. That doesn't mean you stomp all over people. It means that your priority is toward God. It means that you don't necessarily consider the reaction of people if the demand of God is clear. I've got to do what God has called me to do and not give in to the whims and the ways of people. Your service is unto the Lord. If you serve in any capacity, if you're standing at a door greeting people, if you're teaching a class, if you serve on a finance team, if you're serving right now to help us try to secure a future facility for a church, if you serve on the worship team, on the children's ministry, you serve among the students in our youth group, listen, whatever it is, serve the Lord. See it as your personal worship of God and to God. Don't serve man. You say, well, I I, I, I feel like I serve the Lord when I come to church. Again, let me just say this. Okay, so you're giving the Lord an hour. What are you doing with the other 112 hours that, you, that you're not sleeping? God expects you to serve him all the time. God's not a spoke on a wheel. God is the hub. Your work, your business, the title that you carry in your business that is not the hub. That is a spoke. Your retirement account that you spent your life building, that is not the hub. That is a spoke. God is the hub. Get the picture. This is where God has called us, church. And by the way, the word serving that Paul uses to describe himself in verse 19 is better rendered as slavery. Literally in the Greek, it's bond servant 
or bond slave. Paul uses it 17 times in his epistles, and he talks a lot about slavery. To Paul, it was a high calling to be a slave of Jesus Christ, to be a servant of the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the top rung on the ladder. You can't go higher than being a servant of Jesus, being a slave to Christ. So whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. When I prepare a sermon, my thought is never will the people like this message. Boy, this will really please certain people. Never. I'm just, I'm sorry, never will this message bring honor and glory to God and his word. That is the approach, period. I don't serve you. I serve the Lord. And in serving the Lord, I serve you. But I'm serving you with what the Lord wants, not what you want. Amen? The second thing we see, not only does Paul see himself as a slave to Christ or a servant of Christ, but he sees himself as a teacher of the word, a teacher of the word. Look at verse 20, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ to keep back, to draw back, to withhold. The same verb is used in verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I did not shun it. I have not failed it. I have not held back anything that was of the counsel of God. Paul didn't hold back anything when he preached, when he taught. Again, he wasn't trying to please people. He was trying to honor God and his word. Now, I'm not going to suggest that we should be obnoxious saying things to people because, well, this is what the word, and being obnoxious, no, no, no. You show tenderness, you show kindness, you show gentleness, but you share the truth. You, 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 that's what real love is in the church. You, you share truth lovingly, lovingly, which sometimes means it's the wrong time to share it. Just because you think you have a right and they have a wrong doesn't mean that's the right time to go and tell them. You want to be led of the Lord when you speak. I mean, what's the outcome here? See, that's how you know whether the motivation for sharing is of the Lord or of your flesh. What's the outcome you're looking for? Are you trying to put them in their place? That's not of the Lord. What's the Lord's outcome every time that we go and share with someone when we think that we have a right that they need to hear? Let me tell you what the outcome is. We win our brother back to the Lord. We win our sister. We reconcile them to God. That's the right heart. If you truly want them to be restored, you want them to be able to get right back on the right path with the Lord, you share in that situation. But if you have a desire in your heart to put them in their place, boy, I'm going I'm to light them up. I can promise you God's not in that. And timing is everything. Timing is everything. Paul did not hold back from the truth ever, but he also didn't beat people up with it. It's not a whipping post. The goal is to see people come to Jesus. I could have... I could have gone off on this young man who's driving his car, and I noticed on the Uber they have a little picture, you know, of the person, so they want you to know who to look for when they pull up, the Uber driver. And I noticed it looked like he had, like, red flares in his, highlighting in his hair, and he had it brushed back like a, like a woman. And I thought, hmm, but it says Sergio. Sure enough, when Sergio pulled up, he was not dressed like a woman. He, you could tell he was just working. But he did have these long, beautiful fingernails, polished with little whatever on them, you know. And he, the Lord, the Lord just, I, I didn't have any struggle at all. I knew why I was there. I was there from the Lord to love Sergio. Not to measure Sergio, but to love him. 
And somehow God brought it to the subject of the church. And he said, I was forced to go to church when I was little. And when I turned 19, I was gone. I was out of there. And so he told me a little bit of his story after he left the church. Some of you would cringe to hear the story. I cringed. I said, oh, God help this young man. My sorrow filled my heart. I felt pity for him. He had been lied to by Satan. My goal was not to try to set him straight in anything. My goal was to hear him and somehow leave a deposit of love, the love of Christ with him. He needed a different picture of the church than the one he had had. See, this is how the Lord works, church. This is what he does. That's part of teaching people. It's how we, how we share. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul said, I opposed him to his faith. This is very interesting. Paul, while he would never just beat somebody up with the word, but he was not afraid to speak it. And one time, Peter got out of line. Peter got out of line. It's very interesting. It's a great example. Peter was having a great time with the Gentiles. He was eating ham sandwiches and living it up with the Gentiles, having a lot of fun. He was enjoying his freedoms that he had in Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. But then something happened. Some of the Jews showed up who were of the party of the circumcision. And they arrived, and Peter separated himself from the Gentiles and went over and sat with the Jews. He was two-faced. Paul saw the whole thing, and he's like, what in the world are you doing? And in public... Paul said, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Showing one thing over here and showing something completely different over here. See, Paul never, and what did he correct him with? His worship. You, you, you got to be careful here, Peter. Peter was being a man pleaser, going around pleasing different men. You got to please God. In your worship of God, you got to be the same man all the time, not just when you're with certain people. It's not about the people, it's about God. God's name wants to be great, not Peter making his own name great. Paul got on him. And it changed Peter for the good. See, the goal was to get Peter back in line with Scripture. That's why we do it teaching. That's why I preach every week, is to try to help us stay faithful and true to the Word of God. The Bible is the mooring that we are attached to as believers in this fallen world. And sometimes I see some of you who are loosening the rope to the mooring. And my role is to lovingly call you back and call you out. That's what it is to be a shepherd. When a sheep, a little sheep, starts to drift, I, I read this in a wonderful book that I read it was the Bible on shepherding from Australia where the greatest number of sheep are on the earth and the greatest number of shepherds. And I learned that for a shepherd, they, their sheep know their voice. You could have all these sheep corralled together, different shepherds with their flocks, in the same fold. One shepherd walks to the front and starts to whistle. He gives his particular call. And guess what happens? Only the sheep of his fold come out of the, the whole bunch and follow him. Just as Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. But I learned this, that when a sheep drifts from the shepherd, the shepherd has several different ways of getting that sheep's attention. The final way to get their attention is to take the rod, the staff, you know, the staff, the picture you have is a long staff, long staff, and at the top is a big hook. And that, that is true. And they would take them and hook them and bring them back in. But when that didn't work, they'd flip that staff around with the long rod. And as that sheep is running off, they'd take that thing and whop and hit the hind leg of that sheep and break it. Yeah, wow. How's that love? Well, let me finish. And then the shepherd lays down the staff and walks over to the sheep laying there bleeding. Not bleeding, bleating. And he picks up the sheep, holds it in his arms, and takes it back to a safe place. And he mends the leg. 
He did it for one reason, to save the sheep, to keep it close to the flock, to protect it. Love. This is what it means to teach. And Okay, so yeah, shepherds should do that with a flock. But you as the sheep should be begetting sheep. You're teaching other people. You're discipling people. And sometimes we have to speak the truth. We always speak the truth, but make sure it's the right timing, make sure you have the right motivation, and then do it. I want to continue. I, I want to just go a little bit further here. I want to take you somewhere because I think it's pretty, pretty powerful what happens as we look at this. The, the third thing is Paul was an evangelist to the lost. He says in verse 21, he testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only does he teach the believers, but he reached out to Gentiles and, and Jews and he taught them repentance and faith in Christ. Two things that you want to do with people that are not saved. Don't ever leave out the repentance part. I, I had to share that with that, that lady in the car. She needed to hear that we're all sinners. And unless we repent, we can't be saved. You see, that's the negative side of the gospel. The positive side is that Jesus, by faith, not by works, by faith, you can be saved. But what are you saved from? And if you only share that Jesus wants to save you, you're not really loving that person. They need to know what the condition they're in if they don't get saved. You're dying and going to hell. Because we've all sinned, we've all fallen short to the glory of God. No one's righteous, no, not one. That's us. But then the good news, but Christ came and he died on the cross. He took your place on the cross. You were the sinner, I was the sinner. We should have been on the cross. But Jesus came in our place, our substitute. He's the atonement for us. And not only did God pour out his anger and wrath on Jesus instead of pouring it out on us, but after Jesus died and was raised again, he gave us his righteousness by faith. By believing in him, we now carry the garment of God's righteousness. When God the Father looks at you, he looks at me, he doesn't see Greg the sinner. He doesn't see the Greg that falls short every single day. He sees the righteousness of his own son covering Greg. Wow. So you believe. First, you repent. I'm a sinner. Acknowledge it. Recognize it. But re repentance starts in the mind, not the heart. You've got to understand that you're a sinner. You've got to come to a place where you're like, okay, now I see the truth about this. I am a sinner. And then you turn towards God. And by faith, the second part, you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, as the one who died for you who can forgive you of your sins. You do that, you're saved. <laughs> if it's true from your heart, you're saved. It's a beautiful thing. So he, he evangelized. Look at verse 30 in chapter 17 of Acts. If you go back just to three chapters, he says, the time of ignorant, times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. There's coming a day of judgment. They, they got to hear that, church. When you share the gospel, they need to know that they're on the wrong side of God. They're on the wrath side of God. You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus suffered for all the wrath that God had against sin and sinners. For those who believe, for those who choose not to receive the work of Jesus on the cross... The wrath of God is still on them. Second Peter, chap, just write it down. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to what Peter said, because all the apostles preach this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God wants everybody to repent. There's no other way to salvation except through repentance. There just isn't. 
It can't be, well, I was always a good person growing up, and then they told me about Jesus, and I just said, yeah, I, I want Jesus. No, you were not always. That's a lie. Satan's fooled you. He will make kindling wood out of you in hell. Well, he won't because hell's for him. He's going to suffer in hell, but you're going to suffer with him. If you think for a second that you were always good, nobody is good. It's called total depravity. We're depraved apart from the work of Jesus in us. Amen? Verse 22, go back to our text. Verse 22. I want us to see this. The last point, Paul saw himself as a self-sacrifice. How did he see himself as a sacrifice? He was an evangelist to the lost, and he's a sacrifice. Verse 22, and behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul's future is nothing but suffering. He, he's basically saying, yeah, there's only one reason to live, and that's not to save myself. That's to allow God to do whatever he's got to do to me as I serve him. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. There it is. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, nothing else matters. I just want to be found faithful before the Lord. I want to finish strong in the Lord for the days that I have left. Verse 25, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's an elder. An elder is an overseer, protecting the flock from the enemy, protecting the flock from false teachers and prophets to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul is saying, I poured three years into this church, and for I don't have, he's like, I know that after I'm gone, wolves will show up here. You can be a good church one day, and the next day wolves show up, and all of a sudden now you're giving yourself to a wolf. If there's not shepherds who are protecting and watching over that flock, and from among you your, you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after Christ. They don't just come right out and say, we're from the devil. We're, we're ferocious. They don't wear a sign. I am a ferocious wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. They hide the truth. You say, well, I'm, I'm not being deceived. Uh, that's what deception is. You don't know it when you're deceived. That's why you need others around you. You need one another. To cons people can see in your, in your rear view mirror. They can see in your blind spot. And they can say to you, hey, brother, I think you're getting off course here a little bit. They call you on it because they love you. And they want you restored. They want you brought back in. Amen? Don't ever give up on anybody. I don't care what they do. Don't give up on anybody. God can save the vilest of all sinners. And by the way, you were pretty vile too. I was vile. God loves us. He's called the church to love people. He says in verse 31, Therefore be alert, remembering that, the th that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold. I didn't do it for money. Prosperity was not in my message. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Church, in this fellowship, it is more blessed to give of ourselves than to receive for ourselves. Amen? That's not just talking about money. That's talking about our time and our energy and our gifts. 
And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. He loved them enough to know that he doesn't have their future. Only God has their future. So he brings them before the Father and prays over them. That's what a spiritual father does. He prays for his children. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him. Literally in the King James, it says they leaned into his neck and kissed him. They knew that this, everything this man said, if, if, he, if it wasn't true, they would have said, what? What are you talking about? You didn't do that. Oh, no. Everything that he said to them was true. He gave his life for them. He was willing to suffer hardship for their sake. He poured the word, all of the word, all the easy stuff and the tough stuff, he poured into them. And they are just overwhelmed. And so they love Paul back. The greatest thing they can do in love is action. And their action was to embrace him. Tears flowing. Wow. They were sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. It's a great story, great narrative, isn't it? Paul loving the church with everything, serving God, and in serving God, he is serving people, not the other way around. And now they love him so much, they, 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 they give it back the best they know how. They, they embrace him. My mom and dad are here, and I grew up in Daytona Beach, and we had a pastor. My, when I grew up, I had one pastor my whole childhood, from the time I was born, well, right after I was born, until the, I went to college when I moved away. One pastor. And one of his strongest points was his shepherding. He, he just loved people. He would just give us time to people. And I remember a man in our church who, for years, never went to church he was a carpenter, hard, hard. His wife was faithful. He was not. He was not a believer. And this pastor loved him. And the church was building a large structure, a church. It was a sanctuary that would hold a 1,000 people. This is back in the 70s, Okay. And because God had so blessed the ministry. And this pastor would be out there every Thursday night and every Saturday with the men of the church building this structure. He was not a good carpenter. He was not a good carpenter. He had no clue what he was doing. But he was there. He was present in the moment working with these men. And this guy, because of his carpentry background, was coming out and helping, even though he wasn't saved. And he gave that preacher, he said, man, you're a lousy, you're a lousy carpenter, but I'm going to give you a hammer. He gave him a brand new 14-ounce bluegrass hammer, wooden handle. And that preacher was hitting that thing, you know, and doing a, and they, he was there 20, I think 21 years he was the pastor of that church. And then he finally felt the Lord calling him away. He was packing everything up. They were getting ready to leave the house they lived in, which was a couple blocks from where we lived. And he gets a knock on his door, and it's that carpenter who had, in the time of that 21 years, come to know Jesus and was coming to church. The carpenter showed up, and he said, Hey, Burke, you remember when I gave you that hammer way back? And Burke said, Yeah, I've still got it. He said, uh, Can I have it? Hey, Burke's like, Lloyd, I beat that hammer to death. He <laughs> don't want that hammer back. He goes, yeah, I want the hammer. So he went back in his shop, came back with the hammer. The whole handle was just beat up from hit, missing, missing the, I mean, just beat to no end. And he handed that to Lloyd. Lloyd looked at it. He looked back up at him. And he pulled out of the back pocket a brand new 
bluegrass 14-ounce hammer and gave it to him. That was his way of loving him back. I want to keep that as a reminder of your ministry in my life. Every one of us ought to have that story. Somebody who wants to hug your neck and kiss you. A holy kiss because of the impact that you've had on their life. We're all called just like Paul was called. And for the days you and I have left to serve, let's, let's line this church up with God. We want to be a healthy church. I've given you today from the word what a healthy church looks like. Amen? Let's pray. Father, just overwhelmed today by how you love the church. And you called us to love the church. And some of us maybe have drifted in that love. We're, we've, we've lost that love because we've loved the world like Demas. We've loved the pleasures of the world more than we've loved the Lord and loved the church. Call us back, Lord. May we repent of our sin. May we come clean. May we turn back to you. May we love you again. May we love your work that you gave us before the foundation of the world some of us say, I don't even know what that work is. But if we'll turn back, God, you will reveal. I pray that, God, there would be a revival, an awakening that would hit Vero Bible Fellowship as we choose to become healthy in the Lord, serving for the right reasons, teaching for the right reasons, Lord, with the right heart, sharing with the lost. And Lord, also that we would give ourselves, we see our lives as counting for nothing except to bring glory to our Father by how we father, how we mother, how we parent, how we, how we uh, serve as a husband and wife, how we run our business, all these things. But Lord, may we also serve in the church. Let that be our sacrifice. In Jesus' name. If you feel the Holy Spirit wooing you right now, calling you to repent, I want to take a second and I want you to, in silence, give yourself back to God. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Let the Lord renew you. If you're already saved, that you don't lose that, but you need to be renewed. And if you're not saved, oh, how God wants to clothe you in his righteousness today. So just open yourself. Confess that you're a sinner. Receive by faith the work of Christ for your sins, that you can be forgiven and clothed in the righteousness of God. Let's just take a moment in silence right now. Church, let me say this to you. You're not saved by raising your hand. You're not saved by walking an aisle. You're not saved by kneeling at an altar. You're not saved by repeating a prayer. Salvation comes by the Holy Spirit. He regenerates in an instant. Faster than you can blink your eye, you are saved when you believe. That is how you're saved. And the rejoicing of that, and you say, well, how will we know who got saved? When they're baptized. And we will have a baptism service. And if today you've given your life to Christ, you've surrendered to Jesus as your Savior, in the back I want you to write that down on a piece of paper. I have received Christ. I want to be baptized. And we'll explain what baptism means. We don't want you to just get in water for no reason. There's a significant purpose behind it. And if today you've returned to the Lord as a believer, oh, I rejoice with you. Let us help you find how you can serve this body. And don't forget, we do need people standing outside to greet people as they come in. Think about a guest or a visitor pulling up in the parking lot. They don't know where to go. 
They come through these big gates, but nobody's there. Where do I go from here? They walk down the hall and they look out and they see this huge garden or this huge plaza area. But where do I go? What do I do? It's not until they find their way or stumble to find the way to the doors that they are loved. That should not be. We love them. When they get out of their car, they look and they see people with a smile. They know where to go. Amen? That's something we can all do. And the more people we have served, the less time you have to do it. No, we don't want anybody to have to do it every week. But if you gave one week a month, what a blessing to come early to church and love people. Amen? And that's just one way. There's so many, so many. Come to us. We'll help you with that. We want to utilize your gifts. Let's all stand. I want you to turn, look around, find people you don't know, and love them right now. Welcome them. Love on them. Be the church. <laughs>